Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Charles. Hello, Bernard. How are you doing? I am well. How are you doing then? Uh, things are good, thanks. You're based in Singapore, right? But you That's travel true. a lot in Asia Pacific. Yeah, depending on who you ask, I travel a little bit too much. So I cover everything from Australia, New Zealand, across Asia and China, Korea, over to India. So I get the full realm of coverage for Asia Pacific outside of Japan. And I'm talking to Charles Anderson, Vice President, Head of Mobility and Internet of Things for Asia Pacific IDC. I have I've actually gotten your colleagues, Brian and Kitty, to come on the show. So today... I hear a lot about enterprise mobility from you and we have chatted a little bit about Internet of Things and mobility during one of the conferences that you invited me on. So I wanted to tease your brain a little bit more on that. But before that, I wanted to get an understanding of your career. How did you actually get started in the technology research area and eventually comes to IDC? Well, funny enough, I never touched technology until I was about 30 years old. So I started out my career in banking. And at around that 30-year age mark, that was when the internet was getting quite big. And I had a friend in a consulting firm that was advising a bank on the internet and how they could leverage it to change their internal processes and also engage with their customers. And I started talking with them quite a while. And next thing you know, it led to a job offer with the consulting firm. And that got me into looking at financial services and professional services and leverage of the internet, which soon turned into 3G, which turned into 4G and everything else we've been looking at ever since. So I've been doing it now since well before the launch of the BlackBerry, which gives you an idea of my age. So I've been doing it for quite a while. But I've also had the chance to do it for companies like O2 and Vodafone in the UK. Most recently, before joining IDC, I was head of innovation at BT Global Services for Asia. And then I ended up coming to IDC about three and a half years ago to head up the telecoms and mobility group, which has now been changed to mobility and Internet of Things because of the emergence of that. One of the interesting things is that in the mobile industry it has undergone a huge transformation. I mean, from the days of the BlackBerry, which you have mentioned, going to the iPhone, and now it becomes what I call the iOS Android world. So what are your experiences in terms of covering these areas? How have you seen this whole transition that has gone by across the last decade? Well, I think what you've seen, uh, initially, IT was very comfortable with it because in the BlackBerry world, um, everything was still in control um, of IT. They could secure the devices. There was a minimal amount of security risk. But if you go back, say, seven years ago when iOS and Android came out, that whole world changed because people started bringing their own devices into the enterprise. Um, so basically what happened is you would end out getting a C-level person coming into IT saying, I don't care what our policies are. I want to get my email on this device. And of course, IT would say, OK, we'll do that. And then next thing you know, everybody started bringing them in. And it just changed that whole way that IT had control previously and now was sort of behind it. And they exposed themselves to a number of security risks. To understand a little bit more about your portfolio, what are your areas of coverage in IDC at the moment? Okay. Well, I cover off mobility as a whole. So it could be anything from enterprise mobility, a bit on consumer mobility, digital transformation. On the Internet of Things side, I have to do the full gamut. So I do everything from smart cities uh, smart homes, consumer wearables, you know, smart enterprises, industrial IoT. So it's quite a broad area that I have to cover. Wow, that's a big 
area. But I'm going to first touch on your brain on the enterprise mobility in Asia Pacific. To help my audience to understand this, how do you actually define enterprise mobility and who are the users to this enterprise mobility? Okay, well, when you look at enterprise mobility, the interesting thing is it pretty much includes every different vendor that's out there for the most part. And when I look at uh, enterprise mobility, I tend to look at it from the ecosystem perspective. So what you basically have in that is you have your end users, which could be enterprise customers, SMBs, you know, consumers. They want to access some type of an application that's going to run on a device. And that device could be a laptop, tablet, smartphone. And it's going to have to connect some, from some type of a network, you know, whether that's going to be a mobile network or fixed. And then it's got to be done securely through some kind of middleware to the backend infrastructure. So in the old days, that was relatively simple because that was how BlackBerry worked. Um, you'd go through the device over the network with the best server to the email server in the back. So that was relatively simple. Now there's literally thousands of vendors in that space trying to pull that together. Around all of that wrapping it, what you then need is the systems integration and pulling all these multiple products from multiple vendors into a single solution. And then they want it also in a new model. People don't like paying for everything up front anymore. So you have your managed services around that, doing things as a service, or some people still want fixed price. But yeah, it's that whole flexible ecosystems. When we look at the solution side of it, there's three basic ways that I look at, you know, sort of this path to mobility. The first things people or enterprises do is they try to mobilize their people which is what we've been doing by passing out email, you know, whether it's through a BYOD or company-issued model. The next phase you go into, which is the more valuable phase, is mobilizing the business process. And it's more valuable because when you start mobilizing applications, you can deliver a positive ROI. When you're just giving people access to email, there's really not that much return on it. And then that final stage is about mobilizing the channel. And that's when you link up not only your company and your employees, but it starts linking out to your customers and the partners you might have in your value chain. And I guess because Asia is a mobile first world, so it is actually very important for enterprise mobility to work, isn't it? I would definitely agree. Our latest stats show that there's about 650 million mobile only users in Asia Pacific. And that means that we spend a lot of time developing websites first and then thinking about mobile second. But there's this rising group who are now accessing the internet through their phablets, you know, through their smartphones. And it's the only device. So we need to change our mentality of thinking about how do we deal with those people and interact with them as an afterthought. Instead, it should be the first consideration. So how do we actually reach them initially? And I guess the first question I probably want to ask is that, I mean, 10 years ago is a BlackBerry world. Today, what do actually most companies use in terms of mobile devices? Is it mainly in the smartphones that is maybe an I iPhone on an Android phone or tablets from uh, well, your perspective? Yeah, Asia is quite a diverse region, so we get a variety. I mean, you see um, iOS being quite strong in places like ANZ and Singapore, but in a lot of the other countries, it'll be much more Android dominant. Um, and also people are adopting quite different models. So what we see is BYOD has a decent amount of customers using it or enterprise customers using it. But we're actually seeing a lot more people moving to more a choose your own device model. So giving the employees a smaller range to choose from or just the traditional company issued types of devices. So in reality, what it needs to get to is sort of a blend of both, because once you start doing detailed user profiling of your employees, some people because of their level or because of the data they're going to access, you should be issuing them with the phone and securing it and locking it down. But there's always going to be certain people in your organization who don't have that requirement. So then you should allow BYOD um, and allow them to access email and basic applications from any type of device. So just to help my audience is that BYOD means bring your own device. Yes, it <laughs> yes, is. 
Yes. From your perspective, is most enterprise these days are actually much more okay with people bringing their own device or to choose their own device, but company owned it? Well, what you end up seeing is the more mature markets, and once again, that's going to be ANZ in Singapore, in Asia, they're moving away from BYOD because BYOD as a BYOD only strategy doesn't really work. It's mm. very difficult to move beyond mobilizing the person to mobilizing the process through BYOD because it's difficult to get applications to run on all these different types of devices. Um, now think about it, of course, you know, in a lot of developed countries, it's either going to be a Samsung device or an Apple device. But you start going into the developing markets and you have devices coming in from Xiaomi. Um, it could be Micromax or Carbon, yeah, OnePlus. So there's all these new variants of the operating system and it increases the complexity and it's more difficult to make sure that the applications will work effectively on each of these different devices. How well are things like such as the kind of mobile phone that actually have apps that actually lock your enterprise site and then upon you leave the company, they just remove that enterprise app that's running in your software? I know Android has a product on that. I, I just cannot remember the name. Maybe. Well, there's actually a lot of the enterprise mobility managed vendors. In fact, mm -hmm. most of them can actually do this. So um, they allow you to create a container or a sandbox on the device that basically keeps the personal device or personal information separate from the company information. So if you have your child's photos or your wife's photos or husband's photos on that device, the company never gets access to it. They keep all of their stuff in a container. And then when you leave, they can just remove that container and it doesn't actually impact your device. And what are the interesting positive and negative trends that I actually observe in Asia when it comes to mobile device model for company usage? The most interesting trend we see right now, and this changed between basically our 2014 and 2015 study. In 2014, everyone was talking about BYOD. In 2015, um, and this study is of 3,500 companies in region, now everybody's talking about mobilizing the business process. So it's around apps, and it's not just smartphones, it's actually moving into the tablets. On the negative side, there's a couple of things that we see. One is still, there's massive concerns around security, but we think there's a lack of understanding about the security risks that are actually out there. And the other negative side is, what we see in enterprise mobility, we're calling it the year of the switch. And what we mean by that is, in the developed countries of ANZ and Singapore, nearly half or just over half, depending on the countries, of all enterprises are looking to switch mobility vendors. That means they're not happy with the vendor that they chose a couple years ago. Those contracts are coming up for renewal and they're looking to get out of it, which means there's been a lot of promising and under delivery because people aren't really satisfied with their current deployments and they're looking for vendors that can help bring them to that next level. As of that point, right? What are the kind of issues that actually make them to do the switch? Is it really just, I mean, when they say they're not satisfied with certain features, are they actually looking for more that can actually help them to have a better enterprise mobility in terms of the, in terms of the user within the enterprise or external? It's a combination of factors, but the, when we talk to the customers, the, the main rationale that I get from them is they made a choice before based on having a very limited budget. So they went with some type of a hosted mobile device management model, which was okay to just cover your devices initially. But as they started looking at rolling out applications and getting more concerned about things like managing and securing the content, the data that gets transmitted over the networks, and the access into the corporate networks, they wanted to find vendors that could actually help them with it. So they're looking for more robust offerings. And it's not just about device management now. It's a lot about the content, the applications and really engaging with them as a strategic partner instead of just a vendor that secures a device. And I think we came from a desktop, laptop world now to a mobile world. 
And I think one of the biggest challenges, I mean, even myself running digital, we seems that mobile adoption is something that in Asia Pacific for companies here are actually not very, it's also very challenging. And there are some challenges. I mean, from your report, I was looking at five of the major challenge. I think we talk about security concerns, lack of internal skills, lack of compliance, lack of budgets, ROI, and also lack of applicable use cases. I mean, let's take line by line. Let's start from security concerns. What are the usual challenges you see in inhibiting this mobile app adoption? Well, in a way, the security concerns are actually tied to the skill shortage. They don't have the people internally to actually keep aware and keep abreast of all these new mobile threats that we're facing. And there's tons of them just popping up all the time right now. So they have to be careful with it about, you know, what is it, whether it's malware related, could be just about the device management as well. It could be unsecured devices, unsecured apps. So they don't have the skills to actually help them on the security side. And also you have to remember, it's becoming more and more lucrative to hack data. And it's not just about getting financial data anymore. It could be healthcare, customer data, all of this stuff. There's a massive black market for it. So people are always going to be looking at it. And as soon as we find a way to solve one problem, they create a new solution or a new, um, new model of attacking us. And we have to then mitigate that risk as well. And also particularly because all the mobile OS upgrades are very quick these days. I mean, every year there is a new iOS upgrade. There's a new Android upgrade. So the security part is actually becomes very challenging because oh, you have to keep dealing with malware all the time. Yes, I think that's a major challenge. Mm. But I think also part of it is just an understanding. I mean, let's face it, there's not many security experts out there who really, really understand it. And they're expensive resources. So a lot of companies can't afford to hire in the best people. So what they look to do is try and outsource that. So find a partner or a vendor that can actually help them mitigate their security risks. We talk about the security concerns. We talk about the lack of internal skills. What about lack of compliance? Is it actually policy? Um, a lot of it's around company policies, but some of the industries in certain countries are going to be pretty highly regulated. Governments, of course, are very concerned about data breaches and then financial services as well. They're always on top of it. In a way, the, those threats, though, um, are what drives the industry forward. Because if you look at financial services, they're the most tightly regulated, but they're the most far advanced when it comes to mobility because they've learned how to address the risks. And they leverage partners in the right way and drive it forward. What about lack of budgets, ROI in that regard? Because, I mean, lack of budgets is a very common thing that happens in a lot of, I, I would call, IT departments or group technology departments these days with regards to mobile adoption. How do you see that challenge being mitigated then? Uh, what I would say is if you do know any vendors that have too much budget, please tell them I'm available. <laughs> we can do projects for them in any way. But no matter where you go, it's always a concern. The challenge is with mobility, when people start off with their initiatives, they're very basic and they don't know what that full TCO is going to be over the life of it. So they might understand a bit about the CapEx and OpEx. But as it grows, it becomes much more expensive and they don't take that into account. In addition, if you're doing a business case, what you need to be able to do is quantify the benefits. And some of those could be soft benefits. So if IT does this on their own and they don't bring in people from the line of business, how do you know and what the real benefits are? What are the productivity benefits going to be? What are the process benefits? So it's important that they start to collaborate outside of IT and you bring in LOBs, strategy, operations people to start looking at this and saying, okay, what are the true costs going to be? But then what are the benefits we can deliver? And then we can develop the business case. I thought the last challenge was interesting, the lack of applicable use cases. I mean, I work in the logistics space. I have a lot of applicable use cases actually using mobile. So maybe you can tell me maybe some of the other industries that actually don't have applicable use cases in the mobile. So this is one of the questions when we get the response, I always find it disappointing. What it really means is that they're not hearing about those use cases. So what we tend to see 
we'll see this response come up more in the developing markets where they don't have people coming in to talk to them. So what you have is the mobile operators in a lot of the developing countries don't have a strong enterprise mobility team and professional services team to come and talk about these potential solutions. Whereas in Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Taiwan now this year, you're seeing companies really start to build up those resources who can come out and start preaching to um, the customers saying, this is what you could really do. So a lot of times it's not that those cases aren't available. It's just that you don't have those vendors really starting to drive the message into the customers in that country. So you, in that report, one of the most interesting thing I, I like about it is you talk about the top mobile initiatives for the next 12 to 24 months. I think that was in 2015, early 2015. So are they actually aligned with what, what is happening? I mean, you can talk about some of these mobile initiatives that companies are in Asia are actually thinking about. I have to admit, this one caught us by surprise. We were not expecting the results that came out the way they did, because when we look at mobility, we don't just look at devices or applications. You know, or, well, we do look at devices, but we look at tablets as well. Mm. And what we ended up doing was giving them a choice of 15 different initiatives you know, to choose from about what are your top initiatives going to be this year. And the number one initiative across all of Asia Pacific, excluding Japan, was deploying iOS or Android tablets. Now, that's interesting because those aren't done for laptop replacement. That's done for mobilizing a business process. And then what you had, number two, was launching line of business applications. So once again, it's about the business process. Number three was increasing company-issued smartphones. So this is when they've already been burnt a bit by BYOD, and they need to start issuing more company-issued smartphones to control the applications and mobilize that business process. The real shock came in at number four because this we did not expect and that was deploying Windows tablets. Now, this is interesting because it's not about a process so much. You don't use it for that. You use it more for laptop replacement. So we're seeing this as the number four initiative across the region. And in some countries, it actually came in number one. And then the number five one was about launching business applications. So if you went back 12 months, people were more concerned about doing their mobile strategy, launching a BYOD initiative. The top five here are all about moving beyond mobilizing the person and starting to really mobilize that business process. So that's quite a big change year on year. I think in the horizontal app space, is basically a lot for internal processes, right? Like for example, you do things like CRM, ERP, or even you know financial accounting. That's where most of the mobile initiatives are centered on, isn't it? Yes, that's true. And then when you go to the line of business apps, you know, it could be things around workflow management or field services. The line of business apps gets really interesting because that budget isn't always controlled by IT anymore. You're getting more and more people in the line of business going out and sourcing their own applications without IT involvement. And also in these days, we have what we call software as a service model. I mean, think about more of these apps are being decoupled. For example, you have Dropboxes, you have the consumerization of enterprise, for example, Dropbox, Box, for example, Slack the messaging app. How much do you pervasive of these horizontal apps but that's demanded by businesses that gets into companies to adopt them? Well, I think when you go down that as a service model, people like it because you, it's, it's pay as you go and pay as you use. So it's a safe model. It doesn't cost that much up front, so it minimizes the risk. What you're going to see, though, is there's never going to be enough of those, you know, especially because that means you have to adopt their applications. What people want is mobile versions of their existing desktop applications. But it's normally not as easy to do. And I know you'll end up getting a lot of companies saying, oh, we can mobilize any backend application. In reality, once those backend applications have been customized, 
you know, it's not off the shelf anymore. It becomes a bespoke build. So it can be quite challenging. I'm pretty sure that every time, you know, it started off with a few people using, let's say, like an app like Yammer or Slack. And then as of the whole organization grow, that, that cost is actually, the operating cost is actually getting a little bit more higher. Oh, it gets higher and sometimes it goes out of control where it would have been cheaper to do it the other way. That's right. Uh, but then again, you know, think about how many times it probably saves them from getting burned because they've been able to experiment up front for a controllable cost and see if people will actually adopt it. And you have to remember, a lot of time when these apps are coming in, the company isn't actually paying for it up front. People are doing it on their own. And once it reaches a certain level of adoption, they start pushing people saying, let us, well, why don't you pay us for this since we're using it all for work and we've already adopted it across this area or this group. I think the next part of the conversation has actually become more interesting. It's about tablets in Asia. I mean, I would define tablets as something like an Android tablet, something between 7 to 10 inch. Now I think it's about 12 inch with the iPad Pro. They're entering into the enterprise. So I want to start off by asking you, are more companies actually switching from PC laptops to tablets? You're seeing a combination. Some are switching. It's like when we did our survey, those 3,500 companies. 11% of them said they were looking at tablets as laptop replacements. So that's your like for like. But beyond that, the majority of them, it's going to be a supplemental device. So an additional device to what they already have. And sometimes they're going to do that across the organization. 21% of those companies said they were going to do it to support a business process. Interestingly, 14%, they said, yes, we're going to deploy tablets as a perk for senior management. So I need to go find one of those companies to give me devices like that as a perk. Wow, I do have not heard of anything that I know from my fellow people who I know who are CIOs on that. But in the support service sites for business process, it's becoming more common for a few services, right? I mean, in logistics that I've seen, in even I think banking, in some banking, the customer service officer is actually holding a tablet. And if I'm not wrong, there is a one of the so sovereign wealth fund in Singapore. They are actually a whole company basically using tablets for information and document and also sending out documents for investment documents as well. Do you see that actually, do you see other any interesting users of kind of tablets in the enterprise space? Um, there's a lot of people adopting it. So what it is, is it's actually helping you enhance the customer experience. So you'll see it in bank branches, you'll see it at retail stores, it might be at the counters. The important thing is that they're using it to interact with the customer. So that content management and security is very important. Say you're using it in retail at a counter and you want to start showing off special prices. As soon as you change that back, you've got to be able to remove the old content and ship out the new content as well. So that's that's one of the initiatives you'll start seeing. Are you seeing more in mainly in internal use or external use? I mean, okay, consumer-facing or internal enterprise use? What we're seeing now is a lot more about the customer-facing side of it. And I think it's because... They've done it for quite a while now for existing business processes. So you see it a lot with field services and people who do on-site maintenance, where instead of carrying manuals, they'll put it onto a tablet. But now what you're seeing more and more is people trying to, because it's all this digital transformation. How do you enhance the customer experience? How do you leverage all the different you know, technology options to try and change the way you interact with them? And it can be a great experience. On the other hand, if it's done poorly, it could be a rotten experience. And I had one where I was interacting with somebody at a bank and they were asking me questions and they were struggling so hard to put the inf or capture the information correctly that I was getting frustrated for them. I have this interesting situation. Every time we go to restaurants and try to book using a tablet, there's always an exception because you want to add something and, you know, minus something and then yep. the tablet can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. Then you have to call the person over and then they can go through 47 different steps and explain to you how it could have been done. 
Yeah. yeah, but I think maybe, that as well. Yeah, correct. So I think actually customers having more choice is not a great idea. But coming to the enterprise customers, they don't have a clear vendor of choice. I mean, we, we talk about, I mean, in, in your report, you talk about there's device manufacturers, software vendors, telecom operators, IT service provider, mobilities uh, specialist vendor, and systems integrator. I mean, they are all different categories of it You from the enterprise customer businesses. From your results it didn't show that they actually have a clear choice of what is which is which group is actually the most preferred vendor for enterprise mobility yeah and this is why it comes out every year and part of it has to do with when you amalgamate all the different countries together it balances it out so there is preferences in country if you go to australia and new zealand telecom operators score high because the operators there have really strong professional services teams so you've got you know vodafone or if you look at telstra and optus there's a decent team around enterprise mobility to support it but in a lot of the developing markets they don't have strong telecoms operators supporting enterprise mobility so they tend to go to more SIs and IT service providers. And so, yeah, it's a challenge for them. It depends. But it, what happens is even though there is preferences in country, when you add it together, I mean, really, we're shocked. It's always, you know, a variance of between about, you know, 13% to 20%. But no one's above that. But I thought one t- interesting point that came up from that question is that over 50% of companies in the Australia, Korea, New Zealand, China, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand and Vietnam, they implement in-house. Yeah. How, how does that work? In my view, a lot of times very poorly. Um, the, the vast majority of solution deployments are not viewed as successful uh, by companies in general. And that's mm. also a survey. But Which I believe you because you're, you're buying it and you're not the expert in the area. Because sometimes you're better off maybe buying an ERP software than try to invent your own, right? Yeah. And what happens is people try to experiment. They think, oh, I know how to develop an app. I've developed this for fun. So they think they can do an enterprise app. And they have to remember, like, a lot of times they can build the app. It doesn't mean it's really going to work. It doesn't mean they understand user experience and design enough to make sure that the people are going to use the app. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen companies go out there, spend a lot of money deploying an app, and have nobody adopt it because there was a poor user interface. So this is one of the risks of doing it. But in a lot of those countries, they like doing things in-house first. You know, if you go to Korea, you know, with all the conglomerates there, they all have their own SI division. They don't tend to leverage best practice across the industry. They do things internally first. Mm. So it doesn't mean you're always leveraging the best new ways of doing things. So what are the kind of top attributes when people look for vendor selection in enterprise mobility then? Um, what we actually see, that the, the first concern is goes with their challenges. They want people who can actually help them with security. And you got to remember, when, when they look for a vendor, what they're really looking for is what don't I have internally? Um, what skills can I not afford to get? So, you know, it comes out security. They want people who could do the multi-platform support. Increasingly, which has moved up quite a bit this year, is managed services capability. It's not just about deploying this device. It's about how do you manage and support, you know, the users, the applications, and the content going forward. And the more you do these applications, the more complex it becomes for them. So they actually look for people who have those technical skills and help advise them about how to integrate these applications into the business process. And then after that, it is basically having Salesforce with technical skills and also try to integrate into the business process and legacy systems. I think the legacy systems is one of those big challenges that a lot of Asian companies face. Yes, definitely. It's sort of the elephant in the room. We might want to be a nimble um, agile organization. But if you've got old systems and you haven't been investing you know, in third platform technologies of mobile, cloud, social, and big data, 
it's going to be tough. And, and I think the other last thing just before we close out this piece is the kind of the mobile threats that you mentioned in your report. I mean, mobile web malware came up on top. Then also things like unsecured compromised mobile devices and unsecured mobile OS applications with also things like malicious users and also IoT device attack. I mean, from your experience looking at these mobile threats, which is the most prevalent one that actually happens in reality versus what people perceive to be the threat itself? This is an interesting point because perceived trends versus actual trends is very different. So mm. well, definitely the unsecured and compromised devices is a risk because if you don't secure them, they're all at risk. But what I like about it is that's something you can mitigate easily by just partnering with an EMM vendor. The other one that drives me nuts is uninformed and malicious users. Most companies are very poor about setting mobile policy. Um, they tend to adopt one of two models. Number one, they don't give you anything. They just say, here's your device, which is a big risk. Or number two, they give you something that's about as long as the you know Facebook or Apple terms and conditions, 47 pages long. No one's ever going to read it. They just go to the end and sign it. And they don't realize that the purpose of this isn't to be able to go and punish someone afterwards. What you're actually trying to do is modify behavior. So they should make it short, simple, and explain to people and communicate to them regularly. This is the threats. This is what you should be aware of. But very, very few companies do this. Yeah. And then also on this, on the perceived attack, when Internet of Things device attack, this shows you how a little bit of hype can raise perception of something that maybe isn't that real. We're trying to figure out why this comes up so high and we're hoping it's not because people read that article about the refrigerator sending out all those spam messages at one point. But we keep asking people, are you afraid of this? And no one says that they really are. But in the survey, we get a high percentage of respondents saying that they are concerned about it. But it's one of those things. You've heard about it. It's a risk. So then you think, oh, maybe it must be a risk. Without ever thinking, well, is it really a risk to my company? You think people tend to overreact with perceived threats, actually? Sometimes, yes. But then they also tend to underreact to the fact that what they've done with BYOD is a massive threat. I mean, they've exposed themselves to a lot of risks. And if they don't set up the right policies and solutions to sort of mitigate those risks, they could be in trouble going forward. I'm trying to come to the, this, the last part, which is the most interesting part, is about this thing called mobility maturity skate, which you actually prepared. Can you just roughly tell me a little bit about your objectives of this maturity skate for enterprise mobility and what's the methodology behind Okay, so the maturity scape is something that we've done in Asia Pacific for three years in a row. And the idea about it is we wanted to be able to look at the different countries or industry verticals or company sizes and see how mature they are compared to their peers. So this year when we did it, it was, like I said, the 3,500 companies across 13 countries. And we look at things like their current mobile deployments, their mobile strategy, but also things like what are they doing around security? Do they have funding or recurring funding and budgets? Do they have the physical resources and headcount to support this? And do they end up doing point solutions or are they starting to look really at a platform play, which gives them more flexibility going forward? And in your this maturity skip, you have this so-called the five stages of maturity. Can you just briefly tell me a little bit about those five stages? I think you've got ad hoc, opportunistic, repeatable, managed and optimized. Yeah, I'll try to do it in a nice simple yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. When you look at ad hoc, that's that situation I described earlier where the CEO comes in and says, make this device work. It's a very reactive phase for IT. You're suddenly starting to have people coming in saying, I want to use my device in the enterprise. So you give them access to email and then you start realizing that, well, we've actually exposed ourselves to a lot of risk. So you go out and do something like a very basic hosted mobile device management solution to mitigate it. 
When you go to opportunistic, that's when you realize mobility is not going to go away. Um, so you might as well start planning for it a bit. Um, you might start to make a little bit more robust security offering, and you might start realizing the risks of BYOD and move to the CYOD or choose your own device model. When you get to stage three, which is repeatable, this is where it becomes a little bit more like business as usual. It's not as reactive, but it's definitely not proactive. You're just there. And this is where you start looking at mobilizing things like unified comms. You might start experimenting with applications as well, but not at a large scale. When you get to stages four and five, which are managed and optimized, this is where it gets very interesting because this is where you start mobilizing a lot of different line of business applications. You look at application lifecycle management and where you eventually start to rolling out many applications. And this could be down to the user profile. And this is especially the last stage. This is when you move towards a mobile first strategy. So when you hear about digital disruptors, they're the ones operating in stages four and five. And then in Asia Pacific, because I was looking at all the countries that you put on the map, and I find that actually a big bulk of the countries are all sitting in the opportunistic area. Why? Yeah, that, that, that's the case. I mean, the, the vast majority of them are there. The only ones that sit in repeatable are going to be Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. That means that no country on average is in that proactive space. Now, why that's important is that means that while we think mobility is pervasive in our lives, and it is on the consumer side, in the enterprise space, we are just starting out. So there's going to be a long tail on this. We're just now learning how to manage and secure the devices and the applications and start moving into mobilizing the business process. Then I have Vietnam all the way down to the extreme of ad hoc. Yeah, this is the how, how is this observation came about then? Well, this is from the survey. So we, we give out a very large survey and it's a, a phone-based survey. So we're actually interviewing these companies, all 3,510 of them. Um, we would expect them to come in there. They're just starting to build out the enterprise applications and looking at it in the mobile operator side. All the country, other countries have been more proactive about building it up a bit, but it's still not as advanced as we'd like to see it. But Vietnam, I'd expect them to be down there. The big growth this year was in Taiwan. And so Taiwan went up a pretty large amount, and that's because you've seen things evolve in the country. Number one, you have the mobile operators there made a big push in enterprise mobility. Now, as soon as that happens, that builds out opportunities for the tier two SIs. It's not the tier ones because there's not enough money in it yet, but these local tier two SIs then start creating all these mobility offerings. And that's what really pushes the market forward. So that happened with Taiwan this year and the same thing happened with Hong Kong the year before as well. And then what is really surprising to me is that the mobile first countries are all still in the lower end of the opportunistic era, which is Indonesia, China and Thailand. Yeah. So I guess maybe my, my first my first thing in my mind is why is it because the sample size is too big or is it just because maybe the because it's a mobile first country maybe the use the, the way they think of enterprise mobility is not that sophisticated it's the use of enterprise mobility is not as sophisticated so what you've seen is you know they're starting to look at it in these countries um thailand was the one i was quite disappointed that it didn't move up more this year um there is a demand there i think the events that we do in bangkok when I talk to the customers there, they want to do more, and they're really good at consumer applications. They're good at digital signage. So I would expect them to be able to do this, but there's been some challenges in the country that have held it back a bit. Indonesia is getting better at this as well. They're starting to focus on it more for the enterprise. But a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, it's not something where you just leapfrog and go up a number of steps in one year. This is, you know, something that evolves over time and it takes many years to move all the way up. It's also a law of averages, right? Not, I mean, the best enterprise will still move up in the, into the manage and optimize level, but maybe but, one or two companies, but the rest may not be as sophisticated yeah. as that. 
even when we cut it down by industry verticals, I mean, the only ones you'll get up near managed is going to be financial services and developed markets. Um, and healthcare will be close behind that. It's not like some verticals are all the way up there. I, I can't stress this enough. We think we have this sorted. It's just starting out. This is the beginning of mobility for the enterprise. I mean, to be honest, a lot of people are still talking about mobilizing CRM. I mobilized SAP on the first GPRS connected device in 2000. <laughs> and people still talk about that as a solution now. And I just think we haven't made that much progress. So what are the key findings for this maturity scape report then? Okay, I think like for us, like the three, number one, it's all about the apps. All these results we got were much more positive about mobilizing business process than we could have possibly thought. Um, and that's great because when you start mobilizing that process, it's positive ROI. The other key thing to watch out for is that year of the switch. So we predicted this a couple of years back that there'd be problems in Australia, New Zealand and Singapore because a lot of the vendors were acquiring customers and didn't spend as much time nurturing and growing those customers. They won the logo and then would move on. So that's going to happen in those countries this year. You'll see people switching vendors quite a bit. What you'll start seeing in about 12 to 24 months is that hitting that next set of countries. So India, Philippines, and Malaysia as well. So this will continue on because that's how you grow those countries. You acquire as much as you can initially. But what these vendors need to do is switch their strategy. So where you not only have uh, your hunters, but you have your farmers as well. So you start growing those accounts and taking better care of them. And the final what I would say on this is what we're actually seeing is mobility is going mainstream now within the enterprise. It's discussed at the board level in the C-suite. They're aware of this and they know they need to mobilize their business. Part of that is due to things like digital transformation, which is one of the latest buzzwords. They understand that they need to start changing the way they think and that the traditional models are under threat by these transformers. So they better transform first or they're always going to be at risk. I just want to pick your brain and this is probably my penultimate question. I mean, when it comes to this concept of digital transformation, I, I have this discussion in a previous episode with New Cross from DBS and we both agree because we both run digital Having the autonomy from the CEO support is very important. I don't know whether is that your perspective as well. I definitely autonomy. Autonomy is very important. However, what you also have to have is top-down support. If you don't have support from the CEO going down, these things always fail. Um, you have to lead from the top and lead by example on this. And that's where you see things. There are people who are willing to start taking, do more public experimentation on this and be willing to fail. But they're saying, we're going to change, we're going to experiment and try and do new things and, you know, change our traditional business models. That's what's needed. So you need the autonomy to go out there and do it. But definitely you want them to be your sponsor because otherwise the first time you fail, they'll just kick you when you're down. Yeah. And I guess the whole digital transformation, we there's a whole separate topic. And I can probably get you down another time to have another conversation on this, right? I'd be more than happy to. Okay. Charles, help my audience. How do they find you? How do they find me? Well, they can find me uh, via Twitter and my hashtag or my Twitter tag is at CRA Singapore. And, and they can also find me at LinkedIn, which is uh, look under my full name because there's quite a few Charles Andersons. But you can find me on LinkedIn under Charles Reed Anderson. I will definitely put a link on that. You can find me at BernardLeong.com or at BLeongCW or subscribe to us at Analyze.Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E.Asia. You can find us on ACAST, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And please leave a review, 5 star to 1 star. Of course, feedback is always welcome. So once again, Charles, thank you for coming on the show. And I look forward to speak to you again. That sounds great. Thanks again for your time.